How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 66 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today we're going to talk about uh, John Fisher a little bit, did some digging. Uh, not a lot, there's not a lot on him, uh, you know, about him on the internet, so uh, I'll give you guys what I found, and then uh, talk a little bit about what the players think about the owner's proposal. They're not thrilled, and uh, give you guys a way to adopt a minor league baseball player, you can just go to adopt a minor league player uh, on Twitter, and uh, not that bad. And then uh, also about 20 minutes ago, uh, word came down that Roy Steele passed away, so uh, we're going to give him a little bit of a tribute here in the second half, and uh, go from there. Uh, we are also brought to you by Built Bar today. Uh, Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, get $10 off your first box. They'll be back in the ad section of this podcast. Um, yeah, before we get into everything, um, please follow us on social media at locked on A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at by Jason B on Twitter. And then, uh, you can email us questions too. That is at locked on athletics at gmail.com. So I got word today that, uh, I'm supposed to stop numbering the episodes and the episode titles. So if you notice that change, that is why it's for SEO purposes and stuff so that search engines can find them and whatnot. That's SEO, a search engine optimization. So, uh, I'm going to stop doing that, but uh, I was like, hey, what should I just start naming them after, like, famous books or something like that? And for some reason, The Sound and the Fury is uh, what I'm thinking of right now. It's a William Faulkner book, and I think that I read this one in, at DVC in a, for community college and whatnot in my English class. Uh, I, I'm reading the synopsis, and it sounds vaguely familiar. I remember there being a classroom of people, and it was my first semester in college, and uh, whatnot. Um, basically the sound of the fury, the reason that I, it came to my mind for this is, uh, the sound being, this is a podcast and my, and the fury being goddamn ownership. So sound and the fury. Um, and also I'm going to read you guys the overview of this book. Uh, the sound of the fury is set in Jefferson, Mississippi. The novel centers on the Compson family, former Southern aristocrats who are struggling to deal with the disillusion of their family and its reputation. So, I mean, maybe we're looking at like 30 years down the road. Gap just goes, up, uh, you know, belly up and uh, the Fishers become the Compson family. Uh, not that I'm hoping for financial ruin for John Fisher. I'm just saying he's kind of a jerk and uh, he didn't earn that money. We're going to get into that right now. So uh, see the fury. I brought the fury to the sound of the fury podcast. So honestly, I'm just going to read Wikipedia because it is not very long. He is not in the public eye. Uh, Tim Kawakami wrote something for The Athletic saying he likes to stay out of the public eye. He doesn't like to be the center of attention or anything like that. That's not his job or, you know, his gig, his his feel. He he likes to be separate and whatnot, not the focal point of anything. So uh, I assume that's why. I mean, I could read into Gap, but Gap's not owned by just him. It's, you know, a few people in the family. Gap is also worth like five point something billion dollars. So that's where he gets his 2.3. But anyways, um, here's what Wikipedia has to say. Uh, Fisher, that being John Fisher, is the son of Doris Fisher and Don Fisher, the co-founders of Gap Inc. Fisher attended Phillips Exeter Academy and Princeton University, where he received a bachelor's degree in 1983. After college, Fisher worked in the mailroom at the RNC, Republican National Committee, and worked as a fundraiser for former President Ronald Reagan and then Vice President George H.W. Bush. So he's been uh, with all the great presidents in our lifetime. Um, he then attended graduate school at Stanford University School of Business, where he earned a master's degree in business administration. Uh, it says that he's Jewish. I don't think that that necessarily matters. 
um, his career. So after graduate school, he took a job for a real estate company that did business with his parents' company, The Gap. So, uh, yeah, he's been just getting into Princeton and going to all these places. And uh, then, he, then he gets to, you know, do this business with his parents' company. So he's definitely made it, you know, his billions of dollars on his own through his own merits and hard work. Uh, is what I'm taking from this. Uh, he just had a small loan of $1 million from his dad. That's not true. That's just something that uh, somebody else had given to them. So anyways, uh, the business was not successful. Weird. He was working with his parents' business and couldn't make that work. So he's doing great. Uh, but he became the president of Pisces Incorporated, the Fisher Family's investment management company. So they were like, hey, you know how you suck at business? Here's just some money. Just watch it. it there's plenty of it. If, if you do wrong, just don't make us go bankrupt. It's not that bad. So uh, it's how I'm taking this. There's not a lot of actual information on here. But I mean, really, how hard could it be? Um, he established a relationship with Lou Wolf to jointly raise, uh, to jointly purchase several Fairmont hotels in San Francisco, which led to his investment in the Oakland A's. So, uh, cool. Nepotism led to the ownership of the A's. That's always a good time. Uh, he also owns stakes in the San Jose Earthquakes and Scotland's Glasgow, uh, Celtic club, uh, football club. So, uh, you know, him and, him and Billy Bean like soccer. That's fun. And uh, San Jose Earthquakes, you know, obviously that's where Dave Cavill was uh, doing good stuff. Uh, he's been quiet. Where, where you at, Dave? Anyways, uh, Fisher is the majority owner, uh, and Lou Wolf sold 10% of his shares. That's basically all you need to know on that. Um, also, uh, there's a, this other thing that I found in Forbes, uh, and that was that uh, there was 20 billionaires that donated like millions of dollars to this dark money campaign to oust Obama from office in 2012. And uh, guess who was on that list? It's John Fisher. Him and his family donated $9 million to a dark money campaign. I don't care about the politics. I mean, I care about the politics of it. But if you're going to start just donating $9 million to a campaign, put your name on it. That, that's all I ask. Just own up to it. Be like, hey, you know what? I don't want this for myself. Here's my money. This is my name. It's on it. So in my sleuthing, I haven't found anywhere where John Fisher's actually done work to earn money, except for, you know, having all of these doors open for him and money just, you know, shoved in his wallet. And then I also found this article on moneyinc.com. I have no idea how credible they are, but uh, there was some stuff in there and it's not you know, really defaming at all. So I think that I was just going to, I'm going to use this stuff. Uh, one is he's nicknamed Harpo by his parents because he would just beg them for shit and then they'd give in and give it to him. Uh, so that's fun. Good job, Harpo. I'm going to start calling him that. His name, his new name is Harpo. Furlough Harpo. That's going to be hard to say. Um, anyways, uh, one of the, it's like one of those 10 things you didn't know about Oakland A's owner, John Fisher. And uh, one of number five, which they said four twice, so maybe it's number six. Who's to say? Um, he has no problems using his father's names to get donate his father's name to get donations. They don't give an a, an example of like when he did this, but he was trying to go do stuff on his own merit, and they were like, "No." And then he's like, "My dad owns the Gap," and they're like, "Okay." Uh, so that's how I assume that happened, and I assume that those are the voices that were used and everything. So uh, again, not doing stuff on his own merit. Go, John Fisher. I mean, Harpo. So just real quick, I want to run through what has happened with other minor leaguers uh, around baseball because 
The A's are now not the only team to uh, act deviously to their minor league players, but in my opinion, I still think that the A's are worse than all these other people, even though, uh, well, I'll get into it. Here we go. Um, so other teams have been releasing upwards of 30 minor leaguers with more expected to be coming in uh, the next few weeks as uh, they sign more minor leaguers after the draft and in the draft and all that stuff. Um, and with that, at least if you're released, you can look for employment opportunities elsewhere or uh, file for unemployment. Those are two things that A's minor leaguers cannot do. So they are not getting paid and cannot look for jobs, you know, with any other teams. And that's a, a really difficult position to be in because there's not a lot of other jobs open to them right now either. So does it make the A's look less bad? Slightly, but I mean, they were the first ones to do it. They could have been part of the news dump uh, today on Thursday and I guess just gotten lumped in and been like, yeah, that's the A's as opposed to being the headline act for two days prior and uh, getting all of the scorn and uh, the scorn of the Locked On A's podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, well, th- could I say that faster? I don't want to try. Um, so that sucks. Uh, the players have stated that they will not consider any further pay cuts without the owners opening up their books uh, and providing evidence of their financial hardships. So basically the A's are, or, uh, sorry, not the A's, the players are calling the owners bluff on how difficult it'll be for them to not make so much money or how much they're going to lose or any of that stuff. Uh, They also said that they'd play upwards of 100 games. So they're trying to put 20 more games on the schedule. Uh, So obviously that's a ploy for the fans. Um, They're they're playing tactical. And uh, I appreciate that because usually it's just like, yeah, we'll do whatever. Uh, That's the John Fisher voice again. Anyways, um, so yeah, usually they just kind of go with the flow and agree to like small amenities, but this time it seems like they're more of a united front, which I appreciate uh, as, you know, somebody who's on the side of labor most of the time. So by proposing more games, they're saying, we will, you know, do what you want us to, but you're going to pay us the money that we are owed. Uh, If you're worried about they're not being fans, here's more TV money, hopefully. I, I, I assume that's how that works. Uh, but also, it works out for both team, or both sides because the owners would get more money because of more games that are being played and the and, and maybe the possibility of fans returning at some point, you know, in a couple of months or something like that. We don't know. Everything changes day to day. Um, but then they also get 20 games or more of a prorated salary, which is what they want. Uh, they want money per game played, not a cap of like 20% of what they would have made if they're, you know, one of the elite players like a Mike Trout would be getting like, seven or nine million dollars where he's supposed to be getting 35 uh that's one easy way to recoup a bunch of money if you're an owner is screw mike trout over or other you know garrett cole i guess would be up there bryce harper mandy machado those guys the a's don't have any of those so it doesn't help the a's at all um but so anyways uh that's basically my my labor talk for today uh i'm gonna talk about roy Steele here in a second but first gonna tell you guys about built bar built bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar uh, as I've said before, go to BuiltBar.com, enter the code LOCKEDON, get $10, $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. Uh, these, these bars, as I've said all, all month now, they are soft and chewy. They are delicious. Uh, whatever the uh, flavor is on the package, that is what you're going to taste. German chocolate, cake, uh, German chocolate cake. It has the coconut, as my wife pointed out when she listened to it. She's like, yeah, that, that chewy thing that you were talking about, that's coconut. I'm like, oh. I like coconut. I also like the coconut cream one. Uh, I have one of those waiting for me in the refrigerator right now. 
the orange cream one is also delicious. Uh, again, raspberry, cherry, those are all great. Uh, they're all covered in chocolate. So if you're, you're a chocolate fan, they got a double chocolate one. It was a little rich for me, but I did not dislike it either. Uh, I am not a huge chocolate person. Um, I, I can do, you know, the coating of the chocolate. Double chocolate? I don't, I don't know that I'm uh, that, that wild. Anyways, go to BuiltBar.com. They got uh, four special flavors this month, including the one that has caught my eye, lemon blueberry. Um, they also got uh, peanut butter and stuff like that. Um, go there. You can make your own box. Uh, you can get five additional dollars off just through ordering this week. So, you know, don't delay. This podcast is also brought to you by the audiobook edition of 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience, meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas, and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 today wherever audiobooks are sold. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Roy Steele passed away today. He was the uh, PA announcer for the Oakland A's for roughly 40 years. Uh, he started in 1968. He had to stop in 2005 because he had uh, something wrong with his throat. So uh, that forced him into retirement. Uh, since then, uh, Dick Callahan's been in charge, uh, the, the man behind the mic, if you will. So when the news came down today, I started looking through YouTube to see if there was something that I could use, you know, for the podcast uh, to, you know, have his voice for everybody at least one more time. I know that we'll all probably be going on YouTube because... Uh, Roy Steele is, in fact, the voice of God, as he was nicknamed by John Miller. Um, and I found this thing. It was a, I, it might have been a video shot from the stands. I don't know. Uh, but it was Roy Steele bobblehead day. The first three minutes of the video are basically just him standing in front of a microphone, hearing people talk about him from the stands. They're like, oh, what are your Roy Steele memories? And they're like, oh, I remember in 1968 when he called the first game. And, uh, but at the end, before he got to throw out the first pitch for his bobblehead day, and he announced that, uh, his good friend Chester Farrow would be the guy catching the first pitch. And uh, Chester also passed away uh, this week. And uh, he was the longtime A scoreboard operator. And uh, I just thought that that was kind of not cool by any means, but, you know, just a sweet moment that uh, both of those guys were. It might have been the last time that Roy Steele was really in the Coliseum that I can remember. I think that was 2010. And, uh, yeah, him and Chester Farrow, longtime friends, passed away the same week. It's sad as all hell, but uh, kind of a beautiful moment as well. So uh, there's that. Uh, the Oakland A's tweeted out that, uh, quote, We mourn the loss of the voice of God, Roy Steele, who passed away today in his home. As the PA announcer for the A's for nearly four decades, his booming ver uh, baritone filled the Coliseum from the Mustache Gang to Billy Ball, the Bash Brothers, and Moneyball. Beloved by all, he touched the lives of generations of A's fans. We send our heartfelt condolences to his family and loved ones. And, uh, I mean, really, that's Roy Steele in a nutshell is all of these great A's teams that we've seen in Oakland. He was the voice of those teams. Uh, basically, not the last, you know, decade that we've watched, but all, and the 2016, but all of the other ones, he was the guy. 
and I don't have a specific Roy Steele memory, um, but, and I was talking to my dad about this last week. Uh, I was like, they, they sound, uh, him and Dick Callahan sound very similar until you hear Roy Steele and you're like, nope, that one's Roy Steele. I can tell. Um, he just, he had that voice and it was indeed the voice of God and damn, it was a good voice. Um, so I'm just going to read through some tweets that people were sending out. Uh, Melissa Lockhart of The Athletic, uh, we worked together over at Scout before. She said, damn, one of my favorite voices ever, and the one that I hear when I do voiceovers in my head. Uh, Josh Muller put, damn, R.I.P. Uh, yes, yeah, put, R.I.P. Roy Steele, the voice of God, the voice of my youth. Uh, Ken Korak said, Roy was almost a mystical figure. His voice, uh, a big part of the Coliseum's vibe. Think of uh, the colorful characters. Bill King, he gave the place texture. Every day I think of a name and of Roy. Dave Henderson, center field. Uh, I loved Roy. Tried to impersonate him, but only one Roy. Uh, Rick Tittle put the best ever. And uh, Oakland Stadium Watch said, uh, Roy, Roy Steele's voice raining down on you made you know you were in Oakland to watch a baseball game and uh, something special is probably going to happen. That's magic few can ever claim. He'll be missed. And, uh, you know, he, he will definitely be missed. He was a big part of the A's family. We haven't seen him in a while, but uh, the fact that we all remember him and are, are tweeting about him right now is uh, it, it's a big testament to how much he meant to us. Um, so I'm going to play the audio from this video that I found on YouTube. Um, it was a, vo- a, a video that they were going to play in the ballparks before every playoff game in 2013. Um, and it's just about Oakland and all that stuff. Uh, the video was never played in the playoffs in 2013. Um, that basically, the video was made because uh, Commissioner C-League called the place a pit, uh, the Coliseum, a pit. And uh, Lou Wolf was like, oh, fans only come out when we're in the playoffs. So uh, I think that that was... So I think the video was probably never played because uh, celebrating this quote-unquote pit is uh, probably a good reason to not embarrass one of the team owners and the commissioner of baseball. So it's available on YouTube. I'm going to play the audio here in just one second, but um, I have one more episode coming to you guys this week, and it's been a downer of a week. So I want to do something a little bit more happy. If you have any ideas for how to make a happy podcast in this time, uh, please direct them to at locked on A's or me personally at by Jason B. Um, and I will do my best to get one of those out to you guys. Um, in the meantime, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. And uh, here's Roy's deal for you guys. Oakland, the Coliseum. It isn't pretty or fancy. There are no brick facades, no scenic vistas, an unassuming building from a bygone era. But to a city, to a team, it's not a building, it's home. Our home. It's not shiny, but it's ours. Since 1968, the Coliseum has been the home of the athletics. 12 Hall of Famers, Don Kelly Green, Fort Knox Gold, and wedding gown white inside these walls. It's seen 16 division championships and six World Series. Now to all of us, it's more than a stadium. It's where we spent our youth. As we've grown up, the Coliseum has aged, but 
despite the warts, the fading paint, this Coliseum and this team are ours. We bring our children and our children's children because this place, this team, represent the best in all of us. Oakland and the athletics, tough, gritty, and hardworking. This team, this city, have come together working for one common goal, the ultimate prize. So Oakland, the time has come once again to put the real polish on this place and show the nation, the world, why we are the best home field advantage in baseball. So get up, stay loud, and remember, this is our time.